It's the Thursday edition of the PFTPM podcast, August the 23, two weeks away until the start of the regular season. And that is the night that you will see our guest on NBC kicking off the season as the Falcons take on the Philadelphia Eagles. We will all be in Philadelphia. Before that, though, you'll see Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy on Sunday night football preseason action, Cardinals-Cowboys. That's coming up this Sunday night. The busy time is coming, coach. Thanks for some of your time as always. How are you? No, I'm doing well, Mike, and it really is. It's going to start to get hectic here pretty quick. Can't wait for Sunday. We'll get a look at uh, the Cardinals and and the Cowboys and uh, get tuned up for the regular season. Before we get into it, though, it's been about three weeks since the Hall of Fame weekend, and I was at the Gold Jacket ceremony, and you were there with the Gold Jacket. And the thing that blew me away that I didn't even anticipate, because I'd never been to this before, all the guys who are back, with the gold jackets, and they bring them out one at a time. I said it's like going to a high school graduation where you feel like you're related to every kid in the class because it's just one all-time great after another. That has to be, to be in the middle of those guys once a year just has to be an indelible memory that just keeps compounding each year, each year you get to do it again. Yeah, it's a phenomenal night, Mike, and I didn't know anything about it either. I'd always gone to the induction ceremony on Saturday, but had never been to that event until my year. And I'll tell you, it was the most emotional moment for me of the whole weekend. You're standing there in your regular suit. You're looking down at all those gold jackets. You see guys who you watched as a young kid on television and then guys you played with and guys you coached against, and and it's just to realize, hey, I am in this club, or I'm getting ready to go in this club, and then they take your suit jacket off and give you the gold jacket. Your presenter puts it on. It was the highlight of the week for me, and it was so great to see this year's class go through that same thing. Yeah, they call that moment the gauntlet, and it really does. You're on, you're on a little stage, and you're looking down as you're getting ready to march up to the main stage, and they're all lined up right there for you to walk through. I'm surprised anybody ever makes it to the end. I would never want that moment to conclude as I was walking it's through difficult. that, that yeah, hallway. You want to you know, talk to everybody. You want to just take it all in and soak it in, and then you're seeing some guys. Like I saw Lem Barney. And, you know, that's who I was in the backyard growing up as a little kid. And I just wanted to shake his hand, and I couldn't believe I'm in the same group with him now. And today we just found out that both Pat Bolin and Gil Brandt will be finalists for the contributors category next year. And that doesn't mean that means they don't have to work their way through any type of process. It's going to be up or down. I suspect they both get in, and you could say for both it's been long overdue. It has. Uh, two guys who did so much for the league. Gil Brandt, I remember him scouting me when I was a college senior. And uh, that's how long he's been around and just made an indelible mark on the Cowboys. And, and Pat Bolin setting the tone for you know how the Broncos were going to be a factor in the 80s and 90s in, in that Super Bowl chase. What's amazing about the Broncos, they have not had back-to-back losing seasons since 1971-1972. That's how long they have been relevant. They've been in contention. And it puts a little extra urgency on the team this year to avoid another down season because they're coming off of a very disappointing 2017. Let's start right there. Do you think they've done enough this offseason to avoid another down year in Denver? Well, I do because I think they've solidified their quarterback position. Case Keenum, I, I just developed a lot of respect for him off of that Minnesota year. If he gives them that same type of quarterbacking, uh, Bradley Chubb, 
is going to be another injection into the defense. If they start scoring points, that defense is going to look like it did two years ago. And uh, I, I think they're going to be a factor in the, in the AFC West race. I'm still amazed that the Vikings opted to pay Kirk Cousins $28 million a year in lieu of keeping Keenum for the $18 million a year he got in Denver because surely he'd have stayed in Minnesota for the same number. And I don't see a $10 million difference between those two guys. Well, I like Kirk Cousins, but to me you had a known quantity. You knew how your team reacted to Case Keenum. You knew the type of leadership that he had, the chemistry he had with those receivers. I, I'm always one for, hey, the, the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So had it been me, I would have leaned that way, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, there's something to be said for continuity, especially at the quarterback position, because you have to get to know a new guy. He has to get to know you, and that can cause the process, surely, right out of the gates to take a little bit longer to get to every, where everyone's at their maximum when you have to go through that, that uh, process of getting acquainted with a new quarterback. Yeah, and how much pressure is Kirk Cousins under now to, to deliver? Hey, you've got this big contract. We had a nice situation last year. Everyone has deemed you an upgrade, and now you've got you've to carry the load. And I know Kirk welcomes that, but uh, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, because a lot of people are going to look at this and say, well, the Vikings made it to the Final Four with Case Keenum. They pay $28 million a year to Kirk Cousins. Surely they're going to get back to where they were and make the next step. And you know, I've been telling people for months now, you can't have that expectation to get back to the conference finals. That's a special year in and of itself. And you go back to 0-0, zero and zero, and it's a tougher schedule this year for the Vikings. And if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, it's going to be harder to win the division. And it may be all they can do just to get a wild card berth this year. And that people will look at that as a disappointment. They'll think that um, Kirk is supposed to deliver a Super Bowl um, because he was the um, addition. He was uh, going to be better than than Kim. So th those expectations are going to be monstrous, and there's going to be some pressure to go along with that. I don't know how closely you've had a chance to see Teddy Bridgewater this preseason. He's one of the three Vikings veteran quarterbacks who walked away in free agency once they signed Kirk Cousins. I'm fascinated by what Teddy can do. He looks pretty good to me. That knee looks fine. I'll tell you what, if he can become 100% again and move around like he needs to, I think he's going to get a chance somewhere. Maybe not this year, but I think come 2019, somebody's going to make him their starting quarterback. Well, I, I know that's what he's counting on. And when you dra a team drafts the quarterback number one, you know that that's the guy they're planning on playing. But he can showcase himself, show people he's healthy. And, you know, there are a lot of teams that need quarterbacks out there. So if he can do that, um, you know, it's going to be a win for Teddy. And, and I'm, I'm happy for him. The injury that he went through, just uh, so discouraging. He has fought his way through and – I hope he's healthy and ready to go. And the thing that I respect most about him, Coach, he went through that, and you never heard a complaint. You never heard any self-pity. There was never anything other than a commitment to do everything he had to do to get through the adversity. And that's why I want to see him get the payoff, because he deserves it for how he handled it with with class, with poise, with humility. And I think people need to appreciate the tail end of it so they can look at that and say, you know what, when I'm in a situation like this, this is how I'm going to conduct myself. Yeah. Upbeat all the way and just look into the future. And you do, you, you root for guys like that. No question about it. 
Well, the Eagles have a situation at quarterback with one guy coming off of a torn ACL, another guy who was the Super Bowl MVP. You know, sometimes they call it a good problem to have. I say the only good problem is no problem. What a tough decision they ultimately have to make in two weeks. If you're in Doug Peterson's shoes, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing to have to have two really good quarterbacks and you ultimately have to go with one of them? I think it's a good thing because of the personality and the character of the two men. Uh, neither one is going to get upset or rock the boat if they're not starting, and they're both going to go along with Coach Peterson's decision. Uh, I remember, you know, covering the Eagles last year for NBC, and Nick Foles told me, hey, this, this is Carson Wentz's team. I know that. We all know that. Carson's going to win a bunch of Super Bowls for this team. I'm here. If he's not ready, I have to be ready to go. So he, he's got the right attitude. And that's going to allow Doug Peterson to make a decision based on Wentz's health. If he's ready to go, hey, I'm going to put him in. I know I'm not going to lose Nick Foles or or any faith that he has. If Carson's not ready to go physically, if he's not 100%, I can go to him and say, hey, as soon as you're ready to play, you're going to get in there. And he's not going to rock the boat either. So I think that's going to allow Doug to make a good decision just based on Carson's health. Is there any argument to be made that the Eagles should have been a little more willing to find an alternative home for Nick Foles this year so he could go somewhere and play and not be the backup for another year? Or is the position, hey, he signed a two-year contract, could have signed a one-year deal, signed a two-year contract, made the commitment, so we don't have any obligation to consider giving him an opportunity to play elsewhere? No, and and, and Nick Foles knew that. I mean, uh, absolutely, the Eagles – motivation is to make their team the best it can be with Carson Wentz coming off an ACL. Yeah, he looks fine now, but six months ago, there was no reason to say, Oh, he's definitely going to be healthy. He's absolutely going to be ready to go. So they had to protect themselves. And I think, um, you know, Nick knew that everybody knew that. And he's willing to accept that, that, Hey, I want to play. I want to start, but right now I'm here for the Eagles. We'll see how it plays out. You were in the position 11 years ago of being the head coach of the defending Super Bowl champion. How hard is it to repeat? It's very difficult. Uh, You have to take your hat off to the Patriots and what they've been able to do to repeat, to almost repeat, to, to, uh, you know, the last team to go back to back because it is difficult. Everybody is shooting for you. Everybody's gunning for you. You play the first place schedule. You play the primetime games. You're playing Monday night games on the road. You're playing Sunday games on the road. Uh, the schedule does you no favors, and you have to – you've got to guide your team through it, and they've got to be up every week, but they still know the playoffs is what count, and every single team in the league is going to give you their best shot. So it, it's, uh, it's not easy. And, you know, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't bet on Philadelphia, even though I love their team. I I just think it's that hard to repeat. I think they have an edge, though, built in because they have multiple guys who were there for the ride last year but didn't contribute to the Super Bowl run, from Carson Wentz to Jason Peters and several others. So you have that urgency to be responsible for a Super Bowl win, and maybe that helps avoid that. Because it's hard not to be complacent. 
You've just climbed the top of the mountain. You're thrown back into what Dennis Green used to call the Valley of Zero and Zero. And you got to fight all over again. And what's your prize? To do the thing you just did. So I can imagine it's <laughs> tempting, right? It's tempting to be complacent. But if you have Carson Wentz and Jason Peters saying, hey, I want to go win one now, that's got to that's got to give the Eagles a little something that most teams don't have when they try to repeat. No doubt they're going to get a shot in the arm from that. And a guy like Darren Sproles same way hey, I was hurt I want to get back to the Super Bowl and that's going to be their rallying cry let's get Carson back a chance to win it let's get Jason Peters after his great career that he's had let's get him a chance to play in the Super Bowl uh, so they'll they'll be motivated but I'm telling you Mike it is still difficult one of the things that helped them win playoff games and advance to the Super Bowl and emerge victorious, the run-pass option. I still remember seeing Harrison Smith, the Viking safety, caught flat-footed while he was trying to figure out what they were going to do when Nick Foles would would pause to hand off and then either hand off or not hand off. And I was up in Minnesota at the outset of training camp talking to Mike Zimmer about defending the RPO, and he kind of got a twinkle in his eye because it's a challenge for the coaches to figure out how to stop and how would you draw something up and what would you tell your defensive players when the the quarterback goes into that posture where he's maybe handing it off, maybe he's not, maybe he's going to throw it. How do, what discipline do you need to have to make good decisions about which way you go to defend that play? Well, Rodney Harrison and I did a demo with Chris Sims on the field before the Super Bowl and kind of explained it. And what you need on defense is you have to have disciplined defensive backs who play pass first and play pass all the time uh, in, in those uh, assignments, and they can play man-to-man. And then you've got to have a front seven that can stop the run without the help of the DB. And that, that's what it takes, and not everybody has that. And, boy, you've got to stay disciplined in the back, and you've got to play your man first, make sure the ball is handed off, because the quarterback, he's, he's got the chalk last and he is going to react to what you do. So if you're undisciplined at all, the quarterback has a chance to pick it off and, and, and pick up on that and throw the football. If, however, you can stay disciplined, and if your front seven can do a good job of stopping the run themselves, that's how you handle it. You know, we've seen different trends in recent years, the wildcat, the read option, and they come and go. I, I get the feeling that this RPO thing is going gonna, is gonna to spread to a certain extent this year. I don't know that every team is going to do it, but I get the feeling there's going to be a lot of teams that at least try it out from time to time. There will, because what happens is you have tr- trouble defending it on defense. You go to your coach and hey, here's what gave us trouble. Can you implement it? We want to work on it in training camp. So you may put it in just so your defense gets worked. And then your players like it, your quarterback likes it, and says, hey, there's, there's a couple of plays in here I can execute, and we can take advantage of it. That's how all of these things happen. When the Bears put in their defense, uh, everybody worked against it in training camp to get ready, and then some defensive coaches said, hey, we, we can implement part of this uh, because it, it looks pretty good, and that, that's what happened. If you were still head coach of the Colts right now and Andrew Luck was on his way back after missing a full season, what would be your concerns about him getting into the regular season? You know, it's just if he's going to stay healthy. You can't stop a quarterback from getting hit. You can't guard against the fluke injuries. You have to do what you can to to make sure he doesn't take unnecessary hits. But he's got to play a game of football. And so my concern would be, does Andrew feel good about his physical fitness is he going to be gun shy out there or is he just going to go out there and play like he did before and not worry about it 
what I've seen so far in the preseason games, it looks like he's playing very free and loose, and uh, he he does feel good, and I, I think that's a good sign for the Colts. My concern, though, is that, look, you are going to get hit, and we saw what happened after several years of him getting banged around. Either it's because they weren't blocking for him or because he holds the ball a little bit too long and takes those hits, and he's a big guy. He thinks he can take those hits, but you can't have a season wiped out every four or five years because you took too many hits. And it seems like, you know, we talk about this all the time, Coach. I think it's so hard to get quarterbacks to be wired to avoid taking hits. I, why is it that, that quarterbacks just won't consciously in the moment try to avoid taking the pounding that so many of them do? Guys like Andrew who are so competitive and they want to make every play and they want to make every play a success, that's what ends up happening. And what, what you've got to teach him is every play is not going to be a touchdown. Every play might not even be a first down. So there's going to be times, Andrew, for the good of the team, you're just going to have to throw the ball away and make it second and ten. And we've got to live with that. And you've got to be able to understand that second and ten, with you playing every snap for 16 games, is much better than just somehow you holding the ball and getting this one first down. Uh, we'll we'll live with having to punt the ball a few times if we can have you play all season. And he's got to understand how valuable he is to the team and and get that across in his own mind. One thing I look forward to throughout the regular season every year is hearing what stories you bring to us from the barbershop in Tampa, specifically how they feel about the Buccaneers. What's the mood as this season approaches for the Bucs? I think the mood in town is much more uh, upbeat. You know, everybody's worried about the first three games with Jameis Winston's suspension, but they feel like we've got some pass rushers. Jason Pierre-Paul has surprised me, in fact, with kind of how uh, positive he's been and some of the things that he's been able to do in camp. Um, they've drafted the young rookie from Washington, the big man. He got banged up a little bit, but feeling like that defensive line with Gerald McCoy now getting some help uh, is going to be able to pressure people a little bit more. And i tell you what, they have some playmakers at receiver. Uh, Mike Evans and O.J. Howard are as good uh, of people in, at their positions in the league. Uh, so they're going to be able to score some points. Their whole thing is how are we going to do these first three weeks, tough opponents, without our quarterback. Well, and there's another challenge as well, Coach. That third game he'll miss, the Monday nighter against the Steelers, the night that you'll be added to the team's ring of honor, Jameis Winston comes back the next morning on a Tuesday. It's a short week with a game at Chicago on Sunday. By week after that, I'd almost be tempted to say, we're just going to give Ryan Fitzpatrick the first four games because after three weeks from, you know, gone completely from the facility, how does Jameis Winston step in on a short week and get himself ready to play against the Bears? No, you're right about that. And uh, it would not surprise me at all if they're 2-1 and one and Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing well. Uh, that they don't let him just take that next week because it is tough. That's what people don't realize with the suspension. It's not just that you're not playing. You're not in the building. You're not allowed to practice. You're not about uh, allowed to be around your teammates, be in the meetings. So you've got to get back. It's, it's almost going to be a, a complete month off. So uh, I think that would be wise. Now, if you're, you know, if you're one and two or zero oh and three, and you need that spark, you may have to get him in there. But there, I know their hope is that Ryan is playing well, they do let him ride out that fourth game and then bring Jameis back after a bye week of practice. 
Come week four, that's going to be a critical question for folks who play fantasy football through FanDuel. This NFL season, <laughs> FanDuel has more ways. To, I'm re- that's my segue into my read. <laughs> we we got a sponsor. Here we go. This season, NFL uh, fans have uh, more ways to win than ever through FanDuel. New beat the score contest payout. Everyone who hits a certain score, no more worrying about how other players are doing. Just hit the score and win. Also new for this NFL season, FanDuel's got the biggest ever free NFL Survivor contest. Pick one team every week. Make it through the season for for a chance at the $250,000 prize. New players, try FanDuel today and get a $20 bonus when you make your first deposit. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash PFT. All right, I've been holding this one because I wanted to get, I wanted us to kind of just get in a flow before we both start venting because we both have concerns about the rule change that was made back in March, although I'm encouraged by what happened on Wednesday with the new lowering the helmet rule. How are you feeling as of right now with the new helmet rule given the fact that based on the competition committee meeting from Wednesday, inadvertent and incidental contact with the helmet is going to be treated as an exception and not a foul. Yeah, I think they took the common sense approach, but my frustration, Mike, and this goes back to my first year of being a head coach in the NFL, write the rule and say what you want to say and let everybody know what the rule is. Uh, there were so many rules when I came in. I would send in plays and say, well, the rule book says this, and I'd get the response back, yeah, that's what the rule book says, but here's how we call it. And I'm saying, gosh, these, these veteran coaches have an advantage because they know not what the rule says. They know what's going to be called. And here's a, a situation the same way. They've written this rule, and they've got to bring common sense into it. I think they did, and I think that's a step in the right direction. But everybody needs to know exactly how it's going to be called, what is a foul and what isn't. I think we're working our way through that in the preseason. Hopefully uh, it gets straightened out because you don't want to see a penalty uh, determine the the outcome of a game. You don't want to see a player ejected uh, that that really for something he couldn't avoid. And, And I think everybody is coming to that conclusion. I really do think, though, that whoever drafted that rule meant for it to be as broad as it appeared to be. And it was only after the blowback came when people realized you can't just throw the flag every time somebody gets into that linear posture with eyes down and head lowered and has a glancing blow, the side of the helmet, the forehead of the helmet, and call that a penalty and impose 15 yards of field position. And I'm glad they realized it needs to be something other than side of the helmet. It needs to be that impactful blow, that dangerous hit that applies the pressure to the top of the head and can seriously injure the guy who's trying to deliver the blow with his helmet lowered. And I agree with you. I hope common sense does prevail here. I'm just disappointed that it took this long to get to that point. The rule should have been written the right way in the first place. In the first place, and you know, every defensive coach in America, you and I talked about this. When you're making a tackle from the side, the first thing is get your head in front. He's going to run through an arm tackle. You've got to get your body and your head in front. Well, to do that, you were basically going to violate this rule if they said contact by the side of the helmet was a foul. Uh, I, I think everybody sat down and looked at that and said, yeah, there's no way you could play defensive football by the letter of this law we've got to take that out and and hopefully that's a step in the right direction 
And I, I've watched plenty of videos about how to make the proper form tackle. I remember playing when I was a kid, see what you hit, go in, hit, hit with the flipper or the shoulder pad. That's all well and good when the person's standing still, when you're hitting a tackling dummy. But when they're moving around, you're going to, from time to time, miss because the guy's trying yeah. to make you miss. And you can't have a foul every time that happens. And again, I'm glad they've ironed that out. And here's hoping that they that they apply it properly. I'm still concerned, though, that without replay review, we're going to have some some things that happen too quickly for the officials to spot it in real time, and there's going to be some mistakes potentially. Yeah, the defensive back from uh, the Colts who got ejected from the Seattle preseason game. He's coming in. The receiver's going to make a catch. The DB goes low because he wants to avoid the helmet to helmet, and he goes low, but the receiver dropped the ball and stumbled and they end up having helmet-to-helmet contact. Yeah, it, it, it happens. He didn't set out. He was trying to do everything right, and he ended up making contact with the helmet and ejected from the game. Well, it was a, a DB in a preseason game, but let that be a Richard Sherman or a J.J. Watt uh, in the first quarter of a big game, and there's going to be uproar and controversy. So I, I think we've got to sort this thing out and uh, – you know, officials know what spearing is. They know when a guy is going intentionally to lay a blow with the top of his helmet. We all want that out of the game. Okay? But don't penalize 15 other uh, plays just to get that one right. We can get the, the spearing right, and we can get it taken out of the game. What's amazing to me, Coach, is spearing has been a penalty for decades, and they need these specific mechanical rules to, to get the officials to call spearing. If they just would have been calling spearing all along, this wouldn't be an issue. I mean, Earl Campbell, Absolutely. I guess, should have been called for spearing on Isaiah Robertson back in the 70s when he put his helmet into yeah. his stomach, but that got praised. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you and you, you can't make and that's what happened with the catch rule instead of just having logical hey this is a catch we had to uh, codify it and then you get all of these exceptions and all these problems we all know what a catch is we all know what sparing is and let's just call call it properly I think we can handle it Maybe maybe they made that helmet rule so complicated so we'd quit talking about the catch rule. If that's the case, <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> Give me a team that that is is off radar that you're high on that could make it to make it to the playoffs and surprise everyone this year. I'm going to look at two teams actually. I'm going to look at the Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers. They remind me so much of my uh, first two years in Tampa. They got off to a slow start. But Anthony Lynn, I thought, did a great job of keeping that belief. They've got a physical defense. They've got a very good quarterback. I think they can make some noise and sneak up on some people this year. I also like the Houston Texans. If Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, and Whitney Merciless all come back, now that's a big if. If all three of those guys come back and play at the level they played pre-injury, uh, the, the Texans can do some damage. I was talking about that the other day. I mean, when you, you look at the fact that they all are healthy for now and who knows how long they'll stay healthy, but the Patriots get them week one, that's going to be all the Patriots can handle if that defense is completely healthy. And we know how Bill Belichick's defenses struggle against mobile quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson at 100% is going to be very tough for the Patriots to deal with. Yeah, we were uh, up in New England week one last year, and we saw kind of that same formula, a mobile quarterback, an aggressive defense come in there and really shock some people in New England. Uh, Houston uh, played them well last year. Um, I, I, 
believe it was without Watts and Merciless, but Deshaun Watson had a big game. Uh, if that defense comes around and they get that same type of productivity on offense, the Patriots will have all they can handle. Andy Reid made a, a gutsy decision this year, sending Alex Alex Smith to Washington and going with Patrick Mahomes. That throw he had to Tyree Kill the other night, and the fact that Tyree Kill was was had to wait for it that seventy yard bomb. I, I I've been all over the Patrick Mahomes bandwagon. I think that kid can be special. I think it may take some time for him to get to his ceiling and iron out the mistakes. But my goodness, what they may have in Kansas City if that kid can play like that on a regular basis. No, they'll have the big play threat, the deep ball threat to go along with, gosh, a a very good running back, an exceptional tight end, uh, Tyreek Hill that can play in a lot of different spots and speed everywhere. You throw in some more big plays that Mahomes generates, that offense is going to be tough to deal with. Give me a team that everyone is hyping that you would say, let's let's hold off a little bit and, and see if they can prove it before we pencil them in for the postseason. Well, I want to see the Rams. I was super impressed with them last year, and I loved what Sean McVay was doing. Everybody out there energized by him. Jared Goff played very well, girly, exceptional running back. So now you say, well, we've added four or five new pieces to the puzzle and added some very, very talented players. But I want to see how that chemistry kicks in. And Ndamukan Sue and Akib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, are these guys going to be team players and buy into what Sean McVay wants them to do? If, if so, uh, they certainly have the talent to be great. But a lot of times just adding better pieces uh, doesn't make you a better automobile. Well, and the Rams haven't played their starters so far in the preseason. They may not play many of them in week three of the preseason. Rarely, if ever, do you see starters in the final exhibition game. How do you strike the right balance, Coach, between keeping your guys healthy for week one but making sure they have enough reps in the preseason so they're ready to go? Yeah, that's a difficult call. And and I know, I I guess I'm from the old school Chuck Knowles (laughs) school of thought that we always worried about just getting your players ready to play. Don't worry about injuries. Don't worry about keeping people healthy. You want to be fresh when the regular season starts. But guys have to have uh, – the only way to be ready to play football is to play it. And I, I think there's a certain amount of time you need in, in the preseason. And I remember the one year that we struggled coming out of the gate was when Peyton Manning was injured. He was uh, at uh, knee surgery and didn't get any time in training camp. And you think, oh, well, if, if there's anybody who doesn't need camp, it's Peyton Manning. But we, we got off to a very slow start that year in 2008. And uh, it just shows the value of preseason and training camp and getting everybody ready to go physically and mentally. You're currently on the book tour circuit. And uh, well, how many books is this for you now? <laughs> this is a lot. My wife and I are actually promoting. We've got two children's books, a new series of children's books out under the Team Dungy heading, but I think probably Mike's six uh, uh, um, books geared toward adults, and this is probably our eighth or tenth children's books. But we're excited, and it's going well. We're actually in Dallas right now and doing some promotion, and obviously everybody's focused on the Cowboys down here, so it's been a lot of fun. 
you know, we, we talk all the time about with the coach and the GM and a football operation who has final say. When you're writing a book with your spouse, who's got final say over what, what words you, you are, use, you what topics you address? To <laughs> I just wanted to hear she's you say it. It made me feel better. Well, safe travels and really look forward to seeing you this weekend as we have the Cardinals and Cowboys on NBC preseason action. And then two weeks from tonight, we get it started in Philadelphia. And you know how it goes. Once the roller coaster starts, it doesn't stop until the Super Bowl coach. So thanks so much for some yes, of your time. Sir. All the best to the family. We'll see you this weekend. All right, Mike. Looking forward to seeing you Sunday. Thanks. All right, there he is, Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy, one of the all-time great guys in the National Football League. That's it for today's PFTPM podcast. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. No podcast Friday, traveling to New York, and actually no podcast on Monday. Sorry, sorry. Can't do it, though. We'll be traveling home, and we'll get home fairly late. So back at it next Tuesday as we begin the final countdown to the start of the regular season. We will be updating the website all weekend long. We got PFT Live on Friday with Peter King for at least an hour. Chris Sims and I will be doing it Monday from 30 Rock, so he'll be able to punch me. Boy, I really missed that. Every Monday morning getting roughed up by that guy. It starts next Monday, so we got plenty of things for you. Keep up with us at ProFootballTalk.com, and have a great weekend. We'll talk soon.